It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we go any further, a warning. In case it isn't obvious from the title of this episode, it does contain material of a sexual nature. On a Wednesday evening in December, Sunday Times news feature writer Megan Agnew and photographer Rachel Wright drove along a dirt road about 100 miles north of San Francisco. They'd just spent two days on a somewhat mysterious compound called The Land. So, um... <laughs> me and Rachel are here and um, we're just leaving the land it's like dark nearly dark and like there's a really low fog through this valley that we're driving through and how are you feeling Rachel after two days of being on the land just weird I I don't think I have words yet I think I'm gonna need professional help to process it all The land is the 160-acre home of an organisation that's popularised a practice called Orgasmic Meditation, or OM. The group has also been called the Orgasm Cult. The San Francisco Wellness Education Company is at the centre of a federal indictment. According to an unsealed federal indictment, former One Taste founder and CEO Nicole Daydone and former One Taste head of sales Rachel Churwitz obtained the labor and services of One Taste members by subjecting them to economic, sexual, emotional, and psychological abuse, surveillance, indoctrination, and intimidation. One ex-employee said that they were encouraged to solve pretty much all problems in the workplace with sex. One Taste not only denies the allegations, but is suing the BBC, Netflix and former members for defamation. They invited Meghan to visit the land, to interview the leader for the first time since she was arrested, and to see things for herself. We went in there totally open-minded, obviously having read and listened to everything, but we did. And then what happened despite that, was just slightly unsettling for two days. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jane Mulkerins. Today, two days on the land, inside California's so-called orgasm cult. 
I'm Megan Agnew and I'm a news features writer at The Sunday Times. Megan, can you start by telling us where you went a couple of months ago? I spent two days in December at a place called The Land, which is in Northern California, in the middle of nowhere. It is where the orgasm cult they've come to be known as are based. It's their sort of monastery, I suppose. There are about 30 of them who live there, and they all practice orgasmic meditation. So... I went there to interview their leader, Nicole Daydone, and to sort of spend time with the rest of the group to see what on earth was going on. What did you know about Nicole before you went there? I knew a lot about Nicole because not only has Nicole written tens of books, done huge numbers of podcasts, YouTube videos, TED Talks, etc., as this guru... But there's been a huge number of investigations about her since 2018 because she has been indicted recently on forced labour charges. So what was this kind of weird, kooky, West Coast orgasm meditation startup suddenly became portrayed as something much darker in 2018? And so since then, she has become this persecuted figure, she says, who might be on her way to spending 20 years in prison. Wow. So paint a picture for us. So you fly to San Francisco with a photographer, you drive up to the land. Tell us about what you found on your arrival. The land is really in the middle of nowhere. So we are driving along relatively small roads now, um, having come off the freeway from San Francisco. And I'm here with Rachel, who's um, photographing Nicole and the land over the next couple of days. And what have the roads been like? We're we're pretty far out. Um, So the land was sort of surrounded on three sides by this river, by the Navarro River. And... So it kind of looks out over the river valley in this forest. So it's super rural. It's amazingly beautiful. You look out over the rolling hills of Northern California. We're sort of winding down here and in front of us we can see a gate. It says no entry beyond this point. It's a keypad. We were following the instructions that we'd been sent and we drove down this lane and we got to the end, it was like a dead end. We were like, right, we've gone wrong. Oh, someone's coming to meet us in a big truck. And then this humongous sort of SUV as they have in the US, blacked out window sort of pulls up next to us and this guy gets out and walks towards us and he's like, hey, I'm Bob. He was like, you know, you've, you've, you're in the wrong place, follow me, come, come on to the land. And um, we were like, how does he know where we are? And this was actually what ended up happening constantly on the land, which is this super friendliness, 
but combined with this like slightly unsettling feeling. Um, right, here we go. So am I right in thinking that you and the photographer were separated as soon as you got in there? Effectively, yeah. I mean, we were in different chalets. We were doing different things. There was a seating plan at every meal and we were sort of quite far apart. Within the indictment of Nicole Daydone, that is the allegation of surveillance of some of the people who were members. So Rachel and I, before we arrived, did say to one another that as we're using the Wi-Fi there because there's very little signal, that we just aren't going to talk about how we're feeling about it while we're there unless it's face-to-face. So, yeah, no, I didn't know where her little shack was. We were sort of in these chalets, I guess. But I'd come back in and my door didn't have a lock and there weren't blinds on the windows and I'd come back in and, like, my coffee cup would be been taken or some berries would have been delivered and left on the table. Which, if you're in a five-star hotel, you'd think is wonderful service. But when you're at an orgasmic meditation cult that you're investigating, probably felt a little bit different. I just couldn't quite make sense of things. It slightly felt like, you know, that form of Soviet torture, they say, when somebody comes into your room when you're out at work and moves tiny little things and you think, well, I feel like something's different. Every interaction kind of felt like that. Like, what is... There is something that my brain can't work out about this interaction. So I was escorted everywhere. I'd often be driven to places that were sort of literally 30 seconds down the road. You have to be at meals as they begin on time. There's a seating plan. It just was this feeling of giving up control over my whole life, really, in that period of time. Can regular punters go and stay there and just and spend time there like you did? You can buy a night there on TripAdvisor. Right. It's £500. And they call them monastery students. So you go and you can practice OM if you want. You can do yoga. You can go on walks. It's kind of a retreat, essentially, is what it's sold as. So you arrive at the land. You're separated from the photographer. What's the first thing you did? So Nicole was doing her sutra session at midday and it's broadcast to the sort of followers around the world. There were lights illuminating her and microphones and and she sort of walked in and she looks like a celebrity and she was sort of in this like beautiful orange dress. Sounds quite celestial. Totally, yeah. yeah. And then she spoke for an hour, I'd say, about... Uh, something to do with uh, women's power, I think. <laughs> I worked with a lot of women at this point. And, um, and again and again and again and again, I hear the same thing. It always comes down to the same thing. There's some kind of power in me, I think. I'm not really sure. I think there's a power in me. I'm not really sure about it. And uh, I don't know how to ex- access it. I don't know how to express it. I don't know how to not fawn in certain moments or get rigid and organized in moments or 
be formal or I I don't know how to just have that kind of natural, spontaneous, uncontrived sense of who I am come out. Like a spiritual wellness word salad. Yes, yes. All of that started to unfurl in that space. It couldn't in the congestion or the cacophony of my everyday life. It couldn't in my academic career. It couldn't when I was going and going hard. Was it there that it began to open? And suddenly it was like, I think this is what it's supposed to feel like. I think this is what I feel like in my own body, on my own terms. Back up for a minute, Megan. Where does all this begin? Who is Nicole Daydone? Nicole Daydone is a Californian. I think she'd probably say she was originally an academic. She grew up in kind of political bohemian home. And then when she was in her late 20s, she started or she discovered the practice of orgasmic meditation. Back then it was actually called deliberate orgasm. Then she kind of realised this should be rolled out for the masses. She then changed the name to Orgasmic Meditation and um, trademarked it. And it has a really clear set of instructions. And that is how you can roll it out internationally. And it also means you can sell courses and you can become qualified and you can become a coach. Anyway, what it is, is that the woman lies back she takes off her the bottom half of her clothing. The man is fully dressed, wearing latex gloves. The man strokes the woman's clitoris for 15 minutes, and then afterwards, that is it. It doesn't lead to sex, apparently. They sell it as not being a sexual act, but as a structured form of meditation. And that's what they do. They do two in the morning and two in the evening. For a day. So... This was founded by Nicole Daydone as One Taste, right, in, in San Francisco. I mean, it sounds pretty out there as a practice. How did she get this organisation to grow? The moment that it expanded was this New York Times article in 2009, which was kind of like, ooh, wow, look at this wacky, weird West Coast thing going on here. Then it just multiplied. They started selling these courses for tens of thousands of dollars as a result. Khloe Kardashian loved um, Nicole Daydone's book, which is called Slow Sex, The Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm, as did Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast. Today's guest is the very magnetic Nicole Daydone, She's a longtime proponent and teacher of a practice called orgasmic meditation, which has been called the yoga of sex. It's probably not what you think. By 2016, they're making $9.5 million in revenue a year. The figure that they say is that 35,000 people attended events between 2010 and 2018. People started giving up their jobs to work for the company. I met this woman on the land who would fly from Sydney to San Francisco for three days a month to do her coaching course and then 
a few months into that, she just she quit her job at Clifford Chance, this sort of high-end magic circle law firm in Sydney, and um, moved to California to work for the company. So it's absolutely booming. Latex gloves being shipped in <laughs> endlessly, presumably. And then things took a turn, didn't they? So in 2018, a Bloomberg article was published. And in that, it essentially said that one taste resembled a prostitution ring. Wow. It made these allegations that the women selling courses were encouraged to have sex with potential customers in order to hook them in, they said, that there was this constant surveillance, this constant control, this bullying internally, and that people were forced to do things that they didn't want to, that they were told to have sex with certain people to expand their orgasm, specifically people that they found repulsive, which was called aversion practice. And yeah, these huge numbers of former members came forward and said, I couldn't leave. And when all these allegations were made, that's when it really became aligned with the word cult. And how did One Taste at that time respond to those allegations in Bloomberg? They kind of went into hibernation mode. They shut all of the ohm houses around the world. They stopped selling courses. They retreated. And about 30 senior practitioners moved onto the land, essentially, and hunkered down. But they did deny the allegations publicly. They denied all the allegations publicly, exactly. So one taste as it was then sort of ceased to exist because they shut down all the houses, as you were saying. But now there is the Institute of Ohm, who owns and runs, essentially, the land. How closely is it connected to One Taste? So it's got the same owners, and they do the same practice. But how it began in 2004 as One Taste, Nicole, by 2018, owned all of it. And... In that year, she sold it to three people in their 30s who had started oming just months before. They were really new at it. And they buy this company for $12 million. And all three of them invest family money that they've inherited. And this is paid to Nicole. Months later, these allegations come out. By this point, Nicole has no financial attachment anymore to the company and her name's not on the documents. So, different name. Looks a bit different. Tell us what happened in June. So, in June, the same place where we were on the land, the FBI stormed it in a dawn raid. So, in the middle of nowhere, they sort of came steaming down this narrow lane and over the river and there was a helicopter above and there were armed officers and they arrested Rachel Cherwitz, who was the head of sales and a sort of senior executive. And Nicole later was arrested in New York on forced labour charges. We don't know when the trial will be. And how has Wontes, or now is it's known, Institute of Ohm, responded to these latest charges and arrests and everything that happened in June? Well, they've denied all the charges 
and they're trying to have the indictment struck out because they say that they haven't been given enough information to understand how they've broken the law. So in mid-January, they submitted a motion to dismiss the indictment and at time of writing and recording, we're yet to hear the court's response. And you mentioned earlier they're suing the BBC. They're suing the BBC, although that's been stayed until after the indictment. They're suing Netflix in California. They're suing a former member. They're being sued by a former member on sex trafficking charges and they've been indicted. So, I mean, they are spending vast amounts of money fighting these legal cases. So they've spent more than the worth of the company, more than $12 million. These three new owners are just ploughing cash into the legal costs. So let's go back to the land where you spent this extraordinary weekend. Who lives there and what do they actually do there? I couldn't really get an answer about who did live there. This was sort of the issue with the two days was that I, I couldn't get what I thought were easy answers from them. I think the people who live there are the most senior or were the most senior in 2018 when they all kind of shut up shop. And a lot of them were senior practitioners, i.e. they were teaching people back when they could to ohm. And now, as far as I could tell, they've all got different roles. So they are lawyers, they are doing the social media, they're videographers, they're creative directors, they're doing the gardening, they're working at non-profits, they're publishing the books, they're editing them. So it's this whole company and ecosystem that exists from the land in order to further the message of Ohm and in order to support Nicole's vision. Tell me about uh, the Ayers who you met there. So they're the owners, Anjali and Austin. Anjali's now the CEO and Austin's her brother, who I have to say, every time I saw him, he was just silently giving me a cookie or pouring coffee. I could not believe that he was the co-owner of this thing. And Amanda Dunham, who was the third owner, was so painfully shy and spent the days chopping apples. Tell us about eating there. I mean, presumably you ate with everyone? We ate with everyone. All the meals were provided. It was amazing food. It's all bust in. It's all sort of comes in in one big delivery every week and then they cook it and they serve it and they clear it. Did Nicole eat with you all as well? And was it a kind of convivial, you know, sort of university campus type situation? Mm, Yeah, it felt like being at camp or something. Like she ate with all of us and, you know, they, they say again and again that she's just one of them, but they really do revere her and... They really laugh at her jokes and they kind of hush their voices if she's near so she can't necessarily hear them. After dinner, presumably, there's, you know, you're in the countryside, you go back to your cabin with its lock not on the door and no, no curtains. What were you thinking kind of when you were going to bed and, and, and sort of reflecting on this day? I felt just quite disorientated, to be honest. And I just felt, how is this getting more complicated the more I ask? 
rather than more straightforward. But I knew I needed to get an early night because the next day, the next morning, was going to be a big day. Coming up. So it's still dark outside and it's about 6.30 and I have just been to the OM session. That's in just a moment. This weekend, Time subscribers can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts. Time subscribers are the only people that can get it on the Stories of Our Times feed. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out how. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Megan, tell us how your second day on the land started. Morning. So, what time is it? 5.45am. And it's still pitch black outside. And I've woken up bright and early to go to the morning orgasmic meditation session which is over in a barn, sort of through some woods. I'm not allowed to record in there. Wish me luck. I knew that I couldn't go all the way to California to the orgasm cult without seeing the orgasms. So I asked if I could sit in on their morning orgasmic meditation, which begins at... 6.05, I think it was. It was pitch black. We drove up to the barn, which is where Nicole did her sort of presentation, upstairs in that barn. In the eaves, they have their own room, and it kind of looks like a yoga studio, you know, like mats on the floor. It's warm and cosy. The women are lying back with their legs kind of butterflied. The men are sitting next to them. 
you know, these are all the people that I've been like hanging out with. Bob, who showed us in the gates, has got his latex gloves on and is ready to roll. Am I right in thinking Nicole doesn't own with the group anymore? Nicole owns, she said, with her partner in New York, not romantic partner, her oming partner. So no, she doesn't. They do it by themselves. Um, They do it among themselves and she does it alone. So let's just remind the listeners that the founders insist this is not a sexual practice, right? Mm, They say that you can ask somebody to own, like you can ask them for a cup of tea. I thought it was going to be a lot louder. Um... And it was quiet and still. But, like, the thing that really was striking to me was it's really intimate. It looks like sex. I just felt like I left feeling like, hmm, I find it concerning personally that you say that it's not. What did it feel like spectating? What were you actually seeing? I was sitting. I couldn't quite see their faces because the women were lying back. I could see the men kind of peering into the women's crotches, essentially. One of the men kept looking at me in the eye, which I found odd. Then there was sort of some heavy breathing and a couple of noises... Um, And then the alarm goes off after 15 minutes. And does everyone just stop and get up and put their trousers on? They did another one afterwards. I left in between the first and the second one, yeah. How long a pause do they have between the two? I think it's a few minutes. They do some feedback. Yeah, so they do some feedback about what their orgasm felt like. What um, came up for them, as they often also say in yes, California. Yes, what came up for them, exactly. What came up for them. So this is, this is what you've seen and you've heard. Then you spoke to a former member who we're calling Persephone. What did she tell you about how OM was, was used and the effect that it had on people? This was her experience of it at the time, but she said something so interesting, which... So she was part of One Taste way back in 2004 when it was just kind of starting out. And I said, I find it unsettling that they don't think it's sex. And she said, oh, it is sex. It is sex. It's a great practice to add to your sex life. It's not a meditation practice. And she also said that she felt it was used to control people. So she was really angry at Nicole for something and Nicole suggested that they do an ohm and then afterwards her anger had just kind of gone and she was gooey and malleable and kind of like, ah, spaced out. You know, that post-coital feeling, it is quite otherworldly and a bit out of body and a bit weird. You know, she said that people... You're addicted to to orgasms. You're addicted to that ecstasy. That's fascinating. And then you visited Nicole's house. So tell me about meeting her. I mean, obviously you've seen her before in her sessions, but this is the first one-on-one. Talk us through it. So I met her on the final afternoon properly. It was sort of overseen by her lawyer and her publicist. She's got some. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing a few well. How about you? Good. How's it going? I've had a 
she was initially withdrawn and shy, which was very different to how I'd seen her operate otherwise and sort of like wrapped herself in her woolen cardigan and like pulled her sleeves over her hands. And then as the conversation went on, she became sort of harder in in her demeanour, yeah. And what was that conversation like? What was it like trying to have a conversation with her? You said that, you know, her public proclamation was quite hard to follow. Was it a bit easier one-on-one? No, no, for me it wasn't. Why is it important to have this place? I think, I I think you need to, with everything, you have to um, test it to see to see if the, you know, ideas are much different (laughs) in your head than they are on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So everything from this to, I gave you the piece about prisons to monasteries, they sound so kooky and then you begin to see a way to make it so and then all of a sudden other people can see what you're seeing. Like in in my talk, you know how I said that the invisible or the inaudible, you know, things sound really kooky until people see them happen. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting in this beautiful barn and you get to do practice and you get to have John Lou come and mm-hmm. change the soil. I, I don't really know why they all live there. I don't really know who lives there. Are they senior? Are they paying lots of money? Are they being paid lots of money? I, I just... I didn't understand it. They say that you don't have to own to be part of it, but why would you be a part of it if you weren't owning? Of course, that's central to the practice. She says that they're not a religion, but she's written these five sutras, which are essentially kind of like, it's scripture, you know, and she says that she doesn't want to be a guru. She is their guru. She is the centre of it, and they've... They all say that. They have a book publisher on the land. They've published 11 books so far. All of them are written by Nicole. And I just couldn't get my head around it or I couldn't get her to explain it to me in a way that made sense. Did you ask her about the C word, by which I mean, obviously, cult? And how do you feel about that word being used? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I mean... See, I don't know if you can feel who I am over here. Just feel like human, a human being. But if not, I'll explain. Um, this is my life's work. Like, I'll take my last breath doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I started before in college. This is my life's work. And then to have it reduced Um, I, I mean, I, it was devastating. It was terrible. It was a horrible experience. It was awful. And, then and she vehemently denies all of the allegations against her. Our attorney said prostitution. They said prostitution ring in Bloomberg. And what do you mean? I, I don't understand. What, what do you mean? How could that be? It was like... And it's like seizing because it's so, so different from what I saw, what I experienced, what happened, what we were. 
She said that people were never forced to do anything that they didn't want to, that the whole thing was based around consent and that it genuinely helps people with trauma, though she denied that they specifically targeted people who had been through sexual trauma as a way to help them. Megan, it sounds an incredibly kind of destabilising experience. Did you ever at any point feel a bit lost, feel a bit sort of swayed by people or that you were kind of losing your ability to be critical because of everything you were being bombarded with? Yeah, I mean, it was so busy. Things happened so quickly that, yeah, I did. Like, nothing bad happened. Nothing weird happened. I went... I ate six meals there. I had conversations with people. I interviewed the former CEO. I stayed in a chalet and I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning. Okay, watching the home, yeah, pretty extraordinary. But otherwise, on the surface, nothing weird happened. But also nothing made sense. But nothing made sense. I honestly, for a week afterwards, dreamt about it every night. I get why you would get pulled inwards and upwards because it's really instinctive to want to understand something. And so you go further in and so you seek more information out. And then I suppose what some people are saying then happens is that everything else drops away and you're you're in. So after these two days and after now some time to reflect on it all, have you got a sense of what brings people to the land and also what keeps them there why these people stay the thing that brings them in i think is this like i am finally doing something for myself and i'm following my own desire i've always done what everyone told me to do i always did what i thought was right or what i should do and finally now i'm following pleasure i'm going for pleasure and they see it as an ultimate act of sovereignty, like that they're finally doing this thing for themselves. But then when I spoke to Persephone, who was the former member, I said, you know, the gates are open. You can book it on TripAdvisor. You know, this is not a secretive place. So why do people stay? And she just said, because it's a cult. She told me... They've been brainwashed. It unmores you from your own instinct. And so people get lost. Really, really lost. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Jane Mulkerins, and my guest, news feature writer for The Sunday Times, Megan Agnew. There was so much more to this story that we just weren't able to fit in the podcast. So if you're a subscriber, you can read Megan's whole piece in last weekend's Sunday Times magazine or over at thetimes.co.uk. The episode was produced by Taryn Siegel. The executive producer was James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find us. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.